Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. This is A's Cast Live. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Goal for Yelich. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He So he's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. On the 2-2 again to Matt. Swung on. High fly ball. Right center field. The right fielder Rooker going back. He's at the track. He's right to the wall. And Olsen has hit it out again. A towering drive into the bleachers in right field. It ties the ball game at 1-1 in the bottom of the second. Here's Olsen. He homered into the seats and right. As he stands in and he skies one to center. Back is Buxton. Takes a look. Up it goes and gone. Into the camera well. Matt Olsen is smoking hot. A two-run blast. And the A's are back in front. They lead it 5-4. Swung on pull deep down the line and right. Rooker gives a look toward the wall, and it is gone. Seth Brown unloads on Kenta Maeda. A two-run blow. The A's add on, and it's 7 for Oakland. Swung on bounce to third base. Arise has it across the infield. He throws it away. He throws it away, and the A's have won it. Kemp is home. Andrews is home. Two errors in the inning by the Twins, and the A's winning streak is at 11. Incredible. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, Cody thinks he's pretty cute with the little Beach Boys there. It's been a while since I've been able to do that. 11 straight. 11 straight. Put your arms around that one. And Cody, they finally won a game. Where they were out homered. Uh, First I, one of the year. I didn't see that coming because this is a team that lives or dies on the home run. And I saw a stat earlier that over the last two years, the New York Yankees, if they don't hit multiple home runs in a game, they're 15 and 30. So the A's, another team constructed by the long ball, as David Force told us, team go, a ball go far, team go far. Well, they've won 11 in a row because they've hit how many home runs? 22 in 11 games? It's pretty impressive. They've. 73 runs in 11 games. Excuse me, 71 runs in 11 games. They've outscored their opponent 71 to 33, and they've hit 22 home runs. 
And finally, a a a they're now one in seven in games that they're out homered. Still, when they out homer, they're undefeated at ten and zero. But I just love the I I just love the I love the fight. I love the grit. I love the never say die. Play till the very end. And once again, Cody, putting the ball in play matters. You can't defend a strikeout. Strikeouts are bad. People need to understand that. One of the reasons why the Astros have been so good for so long, whether they've got buzzers on their chest or they're banging trash cans, whatever, they always made contact. It was tough to strike out the Astros. That's why there's such a tough out in the postseason. They make contact. And look what happened today. Guy, you know, a guy's playing in the shift. And next, you know, Mark Canna survives to hit a ground ball. And, you know, guy boots it. And then the third baseman boots it by throwing it over the first. Putting the ball in play won the game for the A's in the end. If they strike out, they lose. Make the other team have to beat you. And that's what putting the ball in play. And they were kind of starting to grip it, right? I mean, for Colome, I feel bad for Colome. I mean, that guy, that guy pitched his you-know-what off. Every pitch he had, all 49 were high-leverage pitches. And he got the ground balls he needed to win. And his defense failed him. Can you imagine walking out of, can you imagine walking out of the Coliseum for the Twins? You had 18 hits, you scored 12 runs, and you lost. It's been a rough couple uh, last couple of days for the Twins. Uh, you know, we saw oh. them, we saw them have to post uh, place another player on the COVID restricted list today. But what's more impressive, the eleven game winning streak, or that the Oakland A's after we were told this uh, about twenty years ago? Another thing, no more stealing. That's what I do. That's what you pay me to do. No, I pay you to get on first, and I get thrown out a second. We were told not to steal bases. The A's lead Major League Baseball in stolen bases. They're the they're the nineteen eighties St. Louis Cardinals slash A's. Wait, so you're saying Bob, where is where, where where is Vince Coleman and Ozzie Smith and all those guys? Bob Melvin, Whitey Herzog. <laughs> what, what what are they eighteen for twenty in stolen bases? I think it's if you count the Matt Olson um, caught stealing in the ninth inning, the end of the inning. I think they're eighteen oh, that's for twenty. Right. That eighteen for twenty one. Twenty one. That's pretty good. Hey, David Force is all about speed and athleticism now. Forget Moneyball. We're stealing bags, baby. This is, you know, to, to be all honest, this is a pretty athletic team. They got some really good athletes. I, Bob Melvin was talking about before the game, like Matt Olson is so smart that he doesn't have to pinch run for him. He's athletic. I mean, it's just, it's a lot of fun. Well, Sarah Langs, you know, if you listen to our program, friend of the program, we always love having her on. We interviewed her earlier today as the A's were playing, and she knows all the way in New York, everybody MLB knows the A's are the hottest team in baseball. It's great to see you on the computer. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. I love that, you know, like this is a good thing that we've gotten from the pandemic is that now when we do these podcasts and stuff, we see each other, right? This always used to be on our phones. We would never have this face-to-face kind of interaction. Now I get to see your smiling face, you know? Well, it, the last time we saw you was on the field in Oakland. I know. Oh my gosh. That feels like 20 lifetimes ago at this point, doesn't it? Oh, so I took my kids, my wife and kids to the game on Saturday That's right. and I got done doing pregame. And I walked down into the stands, and it was so odd. It was the first time I'd been in the stands 
since the 2019 wild card game. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I have only, I was the 2019 playoffs was the last time I was in any ballpark. That's I was there and then with you guys. And then I was at Yankee stadium when they played the twins for like two games. And I have not been in a major league ballpark since. So I can't even imagine what that moment was like. So I know in your world, everyone around you is panicking about the Yankees. <laughs> I just wonder, you realize on April 9th, the A's were one and seven and had the worst record in baseball. Since then, we've done 10 straight and we're tied for first place. Are, is anybody in the Northeast paying attention to our beloved green and gold? I mean, I certainly am, but I think that it's a great little uh, story and lesson for those panicking Yankees fans. So we need you to talk to some of them to remind them to keep the faith that their team is going to be okay. But I've absolutely loved watching this turnaround. I mean, this team is so much fun to watch, as you know. And I mean, that that bad start didn't feel like them. I know that there are certainly some question marks with the team, and there still are, and there were entering the year, but it just felt like every single thing that could go wrong went wrong. And we know that baseball has its way of evening out, and that didn't feel like what we were going to see over the course of the year. Now, I do think at some point they may lose another game, unfortunately. I'm sorry to say. What? but. I said it. I said it. You know, I do research. I, we haven't seen a, uh, you know, 100 plus game win streak before other than from like what the Yukon women. But uh, they've been great to watch. This has been just such an exciting streak. Yeah. I mean, during this 10 game winning streak, I mean, you want to talk about beating up people. They've outscored the opposition 58 to 21 going yeah. into today's game. Obviously, we're doing this interview as they're taking on the Minnesota Twins, and we're going to play this on A's Cast Live after the game. But, I mean, that's a lot of runs. 58 runs in 10 games? That's a ton. Yeah, it's a ton. I mean, it's been it's just been a great, great stretch to watch, and I think that this is what we knew this offense could be capable of, especially with healthy Matt Chapman and Matt Olson doing what he's doing and just so many different contributions. So, you know, I again, I – think that the true team is somewhere in between, but I think it's closer to this win streak good team than to the team that we saw in those first eight games of the year. Now I'm thoroughly enjoying the Yankees being bad. <laughs> I, I, I love that. I mean, that just, that gives me a smile on my face every single time I wake up, you know, they rely, you know, they're relying on a lot of guys that are coming back from injuries and you know, it, it just hasn't worked out. So, so what is it like there in New York? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head with the injuries. You know, we knew entering the year that this was a high risk, high reward ro uh, rotation that they had put together with Corey Kluber, with Jameson Tyone, with, you know, Luis Severino due back at some point. Domingo Herman hasn't pitched in basically a year plus uh, at this point when he started pitching for them this year. So there were a lot of question marks. And, you know, unfortunately for them, those concerns have kind of come to fruition. And, that's what I'm sure that they were prepared for. They knew this was a potential option, you know, something that could happen, but it's just, you know, unfortunate to see Kluber always gets off to slow starts. He's kind of notorious for that, but even still the fact that he has not gone even remotely deep into a game is more uncharacteristic. 
like even of his slow starts. So we'll see what happens. But the concern for me and the part that I do think will work itself out is the offense. I mean, they're hitting 208 right now, which is tied for their second worst through 16 games in this season. And we're talking about the Yankees who have had really, really good seasons, but also had a lot of lean years, you know, and the fact that the only year that they had a lower batting average through this many games was in 1968 when nobody could hit it was the year of the pitcher. And then they, you know, changed the mound. So you know, that part gives me some concern. You want to see Judge and Stanton and Sanchez kind of all going at the same time. And that just hasn't, they're playing at the same time, but they're not playing like the guys that we know, you know. I'm shocked uh, they haven't been on the uh, IL already. Well, you know, I mean, that's the thing is that I know entering the year, my thought was if they have a healthy Judge and Stanton, even taking Sanchez aside, I mean, that's part of the key to success here. And it's interesting. I mean, Judge did miss some time, but they've played, they've homered in the same game at least once this year. And I mean, they're 8-0 when those guys both homer in the same game, when you include the postseason, just in their careers since Stanton got to New York in 2018. And that tells me all you need to know. You just need them both to be hot at the same time, and you're going to win ball games. All right. Cody has sent me a <laughs> new stat. Um most swings slash take runs in yep. 2021. What what the hell is that? <laughs> yes. So this is just something, a leaderboard I've been looking at every morning. And I noticed Jed Lowry on the list. So I sent it to him, you know, maybe we could get into this. So maybe it sounds complicated, but basically what this is, is it's a stat that's quantifying plate discipline. So every single pitch that comes in, is given a run value. So run values are not going to be one, two, three. Those are fractions, right? They're going to be decimal points. And all together, when you put that together, you get this number, which is essentially rewarding you for swinging at a certain pitch or not swinging a certain pitch, taking a pitch. It's considering the count. It's considering the situation. So all of that, I'm, I'm not getting into the 0.1, 0.3, any of that. All I'm seeing here is that the players on this list, so I'll read it off. We have Ronald Acuna Jr. and J.D. Martinez are tied for the league lead at plus 14. We have Vlad Guerrero Jr. at plus 10, Justin Turner plus 9, and then Bryce Harper and Jed Lowry at plus 8. And all this is saying is these guys are making really good decisions based on the pitches that they're seeing and where those pitches are. So this is going to give a lot of credit for swinging at a really good pitch and for being very careful with pitches that are right on the edge of the zone that could be framed, could be not, if you let it pass, all of that. Well, Cody is the king of cliches, and he would call Jed Lowry a professional hitter. Exactly. I mean, this that is what this stat is saying, you know? This is... We're not trying to reinvent the wheel with any of these stats. I feel like we've had this conversation before, too. You know, we're just kind of trying to quantify or describe the things we're seeing on the field. And the fact that you say that, even if it's Cody's cliche or whatever else, <laughs> is just telling you that, hey, you're seeing that. And then I'm just giving you a number that says, hey, by the way, he's not just a professional hitter, but he's ranking up there with some of the best professional hitters in the majors right now. Well, I, I had to remind Cody, everybody gets paid, so technically they're all professional hitters. Um, <laughs> I, yes. I, I, I got a buddy, Rob, who lives in New York, who's just furious. He's like, I can't, and he's a Mets fan. He's like, we got two years of Jed Lowry with only seven at-bats, never played, and in the first week of the season, he plays more with the A's than he ever did with the Mets. And if you're a Mets fan and you're looking at what Jed Lowry's doing, it's got to shock you how good he has been. It's, it's Sarah, it's crazy. It's like he never left. 
He barely did, right? He only had a couple of plate appearances with the Mets. So in a way, he really didn't ever leave. But I mean, I don't know. For me, as just a fan of baseball as a whole, you just love to see a guy find his groove again, especially after multiple injuries, not playing for essentially two years, minus a couple of plate appearances. Like, this is that fairy tale story that you want to see. I'm not expecting him to win an MVP, but he's on a team that's really hot right now. He's contributing, and that's what should be happening. And, you know, people people say what they say about New York and different markets and anything else, but ultimately I think it's just, you know, he's healthy again. It's clicking for him at the right time. But I, I'm certainly glad to see it for him. You know, I'm sure Mets fans will always chuckle a little when they think of his name, but ultimately, you know, just good to see his career going on. I cringe that I have this thought and I'm going to ask you this question, but I have to ask you it. Two big surprises, the Red Sox and the Giants. Oh God, it's all makes me want to throw up in my mouth, but it is real. Your mom's Giants. And we thought that, you know, we were laughing at Heim Bloom calling them the, the Boston Rays because they're, they're not operating like the Red Sox. And both these teams have gotten out to good starts. Definitely. I mean, I, you know, I'm, as we say this, the Giants were losing and I was about to say that, but now the game is tied. As you were talking to me, they just tied the game on Darren Ruff home run. So um, just overall, I mean, I think for the Giants, I think that a lot of people, especially people who um, are really deep in numbers, stats, whatever you want to say, knew that the Giants were and are building something pretty good here. I don't think anyone expected them to really seriously compete this year. And we'll see. I mean, maybe they could be in the running for a wild card. I don't think that's entirely outside the realm of possibility. But when you look at the pitching acquisitions that they made, especially in the offseason, it's very clear how intentional Farhan Zaidi is with these guys that he's acquiring in terms of things like movement, pitch usage, just, you know, every team is looking at these things. But a lot of the guys like a Jake McGee and a Matt Whistler are like, that's a kind of stack cast guy in a way. And I think that these are also guys who have always been very intriguing and maybe not used in exactly the right way. So seeing them here, I think is very encouraging with Gabe Kapler. Again, I don't know exactly where their true talent lies. I mean, their offense is still kind of predicated on some older guys, you know, Buster Posey, Evan Longoria, Brendan Belt. But, uh, you know, they've been pretty good so far, some back and forth games, but definitely, uh, you know, they had a comeback yesterday and they are in the midst of one today. The Red Sox, that feels so much like the manager and no disrespect to Ron Ronicky, but I mean, not that much changed year to year. If you look at the roster from last year to this year, obviously from two years ago to last year, there's big change with Mookie Betts, but this year there's not that much of a change. And I really think that Alex Cora just really speaks to those guys and is absolutely getting the most out of them. And again, that's not Ron Renicki's fault. I'm not saying that he wasn't doing a good job with them, but I just think that this it's is okay. really Cora's team. It's okay. You can say, no offense, but you stink and this guy's better. I don't know that he stinks. I just think that that group was so used to Alex Cora and really knew how to work with him. And I think that it was just disorienting last year for a lot of reasons. And I think that that kind of all just came to a head. I also don't know that I have the Red Sox winning the division, even after this hot start. I mean, I still look at that pitching and think, really? First place? I mean, they have a positive run differential. They're like plus 20-something, so it's not like the Mariners leading their division with a negative run differential there. Um, or maybe they're not even leading anymore after last night. But you know what I mean. Um, at least there's a little bit more basis there, but I'm just not fully sold. 
Yeah, we were so bad <laughs> that we were minus 37, entered today at minus three because, once again, we scored 58 runs in 10 games. But it was so bad, but hopefully we'll get over into the plus side. So yes. I, I've been talking to with Cody about this and also in the postgame show. When the Minnesota Twins came down with COVID in their tier one, tier one's the traveling party, and they put those guys in their hotel rooms down in Anaheim, and they didn't play the last two games of their series. I brought it up saying, hey, listen, I understand. So we didn't play on Monday. We played the doubleheader yesterday. But I said, if it's going through their clubhouse, just because they've tested now not positive in Anaheim and they flew up here to Oakland, well, we now have had a twin test positive up here. And and they took that, that, that guy out, and we don't know who it is, but, you know, that's why you have the, the traveling taxi squad. But, man, it is really scary because you could test positive and you could test negative down in Anaheim, have it, and then once you get up here, now you test positive. I mean, we're still dealing with some heavy stuff with COVID. Absolutely. And I think that's the takeaway here. And I'm glad you said it that way. Is just that I think that there's, and this is me speaking from what my mom would want me to say right now. Not to say I don't feel it as well, but my mom, an infectious disease doctor, would definitely want this message to be out there that just because people are getting vaccines, which is great, and everyone who is able to should absolutely get one, doesn't mean we're out of the woods with this. And I do think that that's really important to keep in mind, you know, whether within the midst of vaccination, shot one, shot two, not those two weeks out yet, or whatever else it might be, there's just, you know, we're not at a point where we've reached that herd immunity just as a country yet. And I think that that's really important to keep in mind. I mean, you know, I see, I'm so glad there are fans in the stands at these games just because I love hearing it in the background. But, you know, you want to make sure that people are being safe and that goes far beyond sports, just into what people are doing outside and on a daily basis. So, it's very, it's very scary. And, you know, you just hope that everyone is okay. Cause I'm thinking outside of the realm of baseball of what happened with the Vancouver Canucks over the last few weeks when they had the, I believe it was the Brazilian strain, which is much more infectious. And there were, I mean, reports of uh, team trainers having to go over to guys' houses to give them IVs and some really, really scary stuff. And I'm not trying to scare anybody, but you know, just worth keeping in mind, this is still really out there. Well, and think about it. If you're the opposing team like the A's today, you're taking on a team that, well, you thought they were out of the woods and now they've had to replace a player. I mean, I, we, we're not able to really talk to the players, but I mean, if it was me, I would be a little little leery if I'm playing first base and, and you know, you're, you're next to a guy from the opposing team. I mean, that's kind of the problem. We don't we we want to think everybody's doing everything they can to be safe, but you don't know what everybody's doing. Yeah. And you can do everything to be safe and still get it. I mean, that's the, you know, truth. So I, I you know, I, I can't even imagine, you know, the feelings of anybody involved in this from any side. Um, so, you know, we'll see what all continues to happen. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that being that opposing team certainly, you know, strikes some concern. But I think you just have to have faith in the protocols that are set up, there's so much that is going on in terms of contact tracing and monitoring and testing frequently. So, you know, hopefully that's enough. We're certainly in a better spot than, you know, I mean, think about this time last year when take baseball out of it, nobody could even get a test, you know, at least we're able to test these guys. What is it every other day? 
um, and, you know, hopefully keep people safe that way. Um, let's end on this. And Captain Panic, who is is Cody, is already claiming that Fernando Tatis Jr. and that contract is a bust. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I'm watching oh, yeah. his face right now. Oh, my gosh. No, oh, not yeah. at all. First of all, he has an injury. He's clearly playing with an injury. They're trying to figure out whether he's going to need surgery after the season or not. So, first of all, I hope we're not knocking him for playing injured during the first year of this contract because Cody, absolutely I mean, not. Cody, I mean, what, what do you say to this? I mean, the guy's gutting it out. She's saying how tough he is, and you're panicking. <laughs> if you're a Padres fan, you have to be panicking right now. I mean – you're, you're, you couldn't beat the Pirates. You're struggling against the Brewers. I mean, Corbin Burns is unbelievable in the 40 strikeouts and the walks on the year. But if you're a fan of Nando, the cover boy of MLB The Show 21, I just bought it last night, uh, you got to be panicking a little bit if you're a Padres fan. I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I understand. I understand. I'm glad to, get, glad to get to hear from Cody on the show. But, I mean – Fernando Tatis Jr. is a really, really good player. And I think whenever he is fully healthy, we will see all of that. I mean, he was already, he's had his electric moments. He came back in his first day back, he homered, you know, and we, you can see with his swing, he's keeping two hands on the bat, even in his follow through, there's like a legitimate difference in what he's doing. So I'm, I'm sure that's quite an adjustment, but I am absolutely not ready to say any of this is a bust. I mean, he has so many great years, so many postseason appearances, I'm sure ahead of him in San Diego. Well, as we are doing this, Matt Olson has okay. just gone yard against the Twins to make it 1-1. He came into today. Since April 9th, he's hitting 355, four home runs, 11 RBIs in the last nine games. And now he just adds another home run. I'm telling you right now, Sarah, if I had to bet on one of the A's to, to win an MVP coming up here in the next few years, I'm putting my money on Matt Olson. This kid, I, he, he's staring like a, a 50 home run, 130 RBI, gold gloved type season because he's so good at first base. I, I, I don't know how much you've gotten to watch of him, but Matt Olson is special. Absolutely. I love watching him hit home runs. He hits these moonshots, you know, these really high launch angle uh, home runs, and they're so much fun to watch. I mean, I remember early in the year last year, he had like, I forget what it was, but like his first five hits of the year were all home runs. And that was kind of the concern was just that, you know, he's not getting those other hits. Um, but obviously this year and over the course, especially of this win streak, we've seen more of that, not just home runs, but just hitting overall. And I think that's really encouraging. But I like that you mentioned the defense because when you were saying, you know, him as a potential MVP candidate, that's the first thing that I thought of is that he, you know, we, we think about first base MVPs and yeah, that power and then playing your position really, really well. And you have that corner duo, you know, in the infield winning, winning gold gloves. And I think either of those guys are potential MVP candidates down the road, but I think people already kind of put Matt Chapman in that conversation. And so Olsen is a little bit closer to your dark horse kind of candidate, even though they're both outstanding players. Well, it is wonderful to see you stay dry there in New York and safe. And uh, hopefully we can do this again soon. And I when, when's your next appearance on MLB network? Oh my gosh. I was just on yesterday, actually. Um, so I'm not sure, not sure the next one, but I appreciate you asking. You are the best. Take care. Thank you so much. So great to chat with you. She is. If you don't follow Sarah Langs on Twitter and you're a baseball fan, you're missing out. She's, she definitely is one of the smartest people in our game. I need to talk to her since we talked about the, 
about uh, Bob Townsend's Padres. Swept by the Brew Crew, scored three runs in the series. I'm hitting. I'm going full. If I'm a Padres fan, I am going full on. They're they're 10-10. and I thought they were supposed to be the greatest team ever assembled. Blake Snell's going to go six innings every game. The guys have gone six innings since 2019 in July. Stop anointing them the next champion of baseball. So are are, are you saying that the Padres are going to have to eat the contract (laughs) of Fernando Tati? Like in what year? Like like next year? Are they going to have to eat $300 million uh, since you're, you're calling it a bust, he's a bust. Uh, so today, he made a nice play today, though. He, it was a ball hitting a hole, and it looked like he was gonna like fall, like fall he in his face. He stinks at shortstop. All right, he, you got to move him to the outfield. Uh, he, he's not. I mean, he's an air machine. He would be a great center fielder. I'll give, I'll give him that. And I just told the great Ray Fossey to, to call into us. But yeah, he, he made a good throw though. He was like, it looked like he was gonna fall on his face, and he threw it, and it was a nice throw to, to get the guy out of first. But yeah, swept by the Brew Crew. They scored three runs. Ray, I, I, I want to apologize for Cody bringing you on. Uh, you, you have to be exhausted how much you've been on the air the last two days. Tony, I feel great, buddy. How you right. doing? I'm, well, right. Get the open. Let's go. Foss is ready. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. You know, Ray, I once had a coach, and I'll never forget this, who just looked at me and said, failure's not an option. And, <laughs> and I, 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 I like winning. It's just my personality. I like winning, and I hate losing. So I was not happy 0-6, but I'm tickled at 11 straight. And, Ray, how many times have you seen a team score 12 runs, have 18 (laughs) hits, and lose? Very rarely. I I can't remember, but that is rare. And and I'm sure Bob Melvin, as they're flying to Baltimore, is thinking, you know, we scored this many runs, and if we had lost, it would have been a miserable flight to Baltimore. But – you know, you, you, you keep battling, and, and, you know, to be honest, Tony, I've never seen a, an extra inning in which the club scores three runs without a hit. Yeah. And, and Mel, you know, Melvin said it best, graded bad by Melvin Sanders. But I still say, and, you know, someone said Josh Donaldson might have been hurt. Obviously, his legs have been bothering him. He had a calf injury and hamstrings. So, I mean, obviously it didn't hurt him hitting today. But uh, w- when Rocco Baldelli pinch ran for him in that extra inning, the 10th inning, that changed everything. And, you know, my feeling has always been, you, and actually Bob Elvin, I know when Josh Riddick was here, there are times that he did not pinch hit for him with a left-handed hitter because, a pitcher because he wanted his best defense in. Well, Josh Donaldson, if he's at third base, the game's over. So with a raise, whatever his name is, goes to third base, that changes everything. He goes from a short throw to a long throw from third, you bring the kid in at second base, and he bobbles the ball. He's lucky that Tony Kemp didn't score from second because, you know, it would have been a gutsy call. But, um, you know, still, when, when you're two outs and that happens, if he's busting to third base, then, you know, and I don't know if he was or was not, but there's a possibility that he could have scored and that tied a game. But, but the bottom line, to be able to score the way the A's did 
and not get a hit. And, you know, Laureano starts the ninth inning getting hit by pitches. His uniform, we kind of joked on the air about how when he backed up, his uniform bloused just enough to get hit. And if you got a 95-mile-an-hour fastball coming at your rib cage, you're happy if it hits your bloused uniform versus your rib cage. So that started it, and the A's were able to tie it. But, you know, just little things. And, and, and I, I think the biggest thing about the A's, and whether you're winning and have a winning streak or not, you just feel that you're going to find a way to score and win a ball game. And I think that's where the A's are right now. Obviously, they've won 11 in a row. They're, they're playing tremendous baseball. And I, I think that is something that's made them as good as they are because they don't quit. And, and I think that's the biggest thing. It's been very easy. Take Matt Olson, for example. When he busted or ran up against the side wall on, what, April the 4th with his knee, and, and so he's injured there. Then he gets hit by a pitch in Arizona, has to miss a game. You know, he could have very easily said, hey, you know, I'm just going to shut it down. Instead, he gets back in the lineup, and look how much he's helped the ball club with his home runs the way he's playing. Go grow a first baseman, yes, but his offense is just unbelievable. So a complete win for the athletics. And, you, you know, you look at Chappie getting the sack fly. When he almost hit a home run to right field, and it's like, okay, we're going to try to fool him with a slider cutter. And really, it just sped up his bat. Great at bat by Matt Chapman to tie the game in the ninth inning. So all in all, just a great game, great comeback. But I agree with you. You score that many runs and you don't win, it's got to be devastating for the team that lost. Now, I had no clue who Travis Blankenhorn is. And he comes in. (laughs) (laughs) Who? So he comes in, Ray. And I – I think we've seen the shift get beat a lot so far this season. And when Mark Canna and I actually texted with Bob trying to set up the Bob Melvin show, but I said, Hey, this is why you put the ball in play. Striking out. You you can't striking out. Does, you know, you put the ball in play, put pressure on their defense. The fact that they had him playing up the middle. Now that became an awkward ground ball to field. So that's one where the shift that actually hurts you right there. You know, it's exactly right because had he been playing straight up, that's a ground ball to him. He flips it to second, throws, yeah, throws it to first game is over. But you're you're right. Anytime that happens, look at Machine. Uh, Machine last night, he had a similar play where he had to go to I think it was Donaldson hitting, had to go to his left. But I think what happens, Danny, when you're shifting and you have to have that kind of movement, you panic a little bit. I, I'm not, I've, you know, I'm never. Well, I'd play some first base and third, but, you know, never to the extent of these guys with the shifts. But I would have to think that instead of it being a normal ground ball, you're thinking, oh, there's a, there's a shift. I got to get over there. So maybe a little bit of panic steps in instead of just taking it nice and casually. Uh, you, you panic a little bit. And that, that's what seems to have happened, especially with the young man at second base. But still, I, I think and, and again, we don't know about J.D., Josh Donaldson. Uh, I'm sure Rocco Baldelli is thinking, I don't want to take a chance of him having to, to run hard and maybe injure himself and have him back out of the lineup again. But, man, that changed everything, especially defensively, and especially when, when uh, Buxton hit the home run, he wouldn't have to do anything except trot anyway. But uh, you never know in that situation with the runner at second base. But, you know, you made a comment, I thought it was spot on, about Colomay uh, coming in. And it was high leverage situation immediately because – he was trying to save the game. So essentially, he blows the save, he gets the loss, and hang with him. Because through a lot of pitches, and probably the Twins are fortunate they have an off day tomorrow so he can rest a little bit. 
before they resume play on Friday night. But, you know, it, it's the magic of winning. And when the A's won 20 in a row, I think of Comerical Park and a ball hit to right center when the club with Joe Blanton on the mound was down maybe five or six runs. And I said, it's ending right now. Then all of a sudden, I think it was uh, John Mabry hit a ball to right center. Uh, and Dave Feldman, you're listening, and I'm not correct. All I know is the A's came back and won that game when I thought it was over. But that's what happens when you have a winning streak. You find a way to win. And the way Seth Brown is playing, uh, the way Matt Olson's hitting home runs, and, and you know, even even with Elvis Andrus at ball he hit up the middle, he's he's going to end up having a good season for the Athletics because, like Matt Chapman, he's going to get a chance to play every day. His offense is going to come around. He's hit the ball well on occasions where he's made an out, trying to do what he's always done. But he's going to be fine. And and you know, this this is a good ball club. And if you can have your starting pitcher come out as quickly as Frankie Montas did. And, and I said it on the air today, the toughest decision for a manager is to know when to pull a pitcher. And when you're thinking about the team win, it's about the team and not individual statistics. I think it said it best about both Rocco Baldelli, the twins, taking Maeda out after three innings, and especially Frankie Montas. He had a one, two, three, fourth inning, and then all of a sudden, home run single in the fifth inning. See you later. Let's go to the bullpen. And so I, I give Bob Melvin a lot of credit. I, I think he's the best in the game, and uh, he continues to prove that, I think, the way he manages. So you're, you're trying to tell me that two of the premier defensive catchers of their time, that would be the great Johnny Bench and the great Ray Fossey, they tried <laughs> to make you guys third baseman. Who was better at third base, Ray Fossey or Johnny Bench? Well, it had to be Bench because I hardly played there. But I'll say this. <laughs> I'll say this. It's a long throw. And even more so, when, when I played left field a little bit, I did play, I think, second, first base. Remember Frank Robinson? I, I caught a game on Friday night in Cleveland. Base? With those big yeah. legs? <laughs> well, it's emergencies. You know, anything happens in emergency. But, but I remember Frank told me uh, as we were walking up the tunnel in Cleveland Municipal Stadium, or, uh, you know, mistake by the lake, I caught – a game on Friday night. He said, "Hey, take the take the day off tomorrow. You're playing first base." Tony, I was out at nine o'clock in the morning taking ground balls at first base. You know, because I didn't want to embarrass myself. So, but but I do know that when you're playing in the field after catching, the ball is coming at you, and that's different because when you're catching, the pitcher throws to you. But if there's a pop up, it's behind you or anything out in front of you. It's going to be the first or third baseman alley. So at playing third base. I didn't realize how long of a throw that is. So you think about Arias going from second to third in the extra inning and having to make that throw. You could see try to put a little bit extra on it to throw to first base. And as it turned out, it wasn't high. It was wide. And it was wide enough that once it got past Ocelio, these guys have so many different names. But, but anyway, <laughs> once, once it got past him, you know, game over, especially the foul territory at the Coliseum. Yeah, Asadillo is a uh, – Asadillo, that's right. That's he he right. might be one of the biggest – when he plays second, he might be one of the biggest second basemen we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah and the shortest first baseman. But he, <laughs> <laughs> not, not a tall target like Matt Olson for sure. For yeah, well, he, 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 I don't think he's a stranger to that post-game spread. Uh, no, no, no. I, I don't know what he's doing now with the box lunches. You know, that, that may be tough on him. But uh, you know, you know, it's interesting, Ray, and, and I, I, I believe we've talked about this before, but it's very important for the catcher to be honest with the manager and the pitching coach because you're out there, 
you're the one calling the pitches. You know what's going on with the pitcher. And if he doesn't have it and you notice that, I mean, is there, especially with Murphy being a young catcher, is there like a sign that he has for Bob Melvin or Scott Emerson to be like, you got to get this guy out of here. He doesn't have anything. Well, I had signs with my managers when I caught in exactly the same thing. But, you know, when a, a pitching coach goes to the mound, hits to discuss strategy or whatever, you know, maybe he's noticed something. But when a manager comes out, there's usually the decisions already been made. Most managers will make a decision before they hit the foul line because they don't want a pitcher to talk. Pitchers have an, a, a tendency of trying, hey, Skip, I'm okay. You know, I can get this guy. And before he sits down in the dugout, it's a home run. And so, obviously, I mean, it happened to Sparky Anderson. And I know firsthand that I uh, saw him do that. And he said, I'll never, ever uh, go to the mound and let a pitcher talk me out of it. And that was with the Tigers. So, as soon as Sparky left the dugout, he had points. Let's go. Come on in. But, uh, but you know, it has to occur between innings. And I think that's where uh, a manager and a catcher, uh, if they do talk, it's, it's simply you have to be honest. And, and you can't really – you know, obviously these guys are good friends. They're all good friends, but you have to look at reality. If the pitcher is not doing his job and you did, you notice that as a catcher, you've got to be honest with the manager because the last thing you want to do is try to keep your friendship with your pitcher. Now, he's going to get angry, but, but he wants to stay in the game. But I, I think if it's a team effort, and Tommy, you've heard me say this many times, and uh, today is Dick Green's 80th birthday, greatest second baseman I ever played with, and he was outstanding. And he played and hit ninth just because, I mean, he was in the game. I mean, in 74 World Series, when the A's beat the Dodgers, if he gets one hit, he's the MVP because his defense was unbelievable. He was old for the World Series, so he didn't, he didn't get a hit, but just an outstanding second baseman. But, you know, you, you just have to be honest. Uh, when, when the manager asks you a question, how's he throwing? You have to be honest because if you win, I mean, if you're going to win, Everybody has to be on the same page and you, you have to forget about your friendships because when the bottom line comes down, it's winning for the name on the front, in this case, Oakland, than it is the name on the back, which is the individual's name. I don't remember what year it was, but obviously we were, we were honoring one of your teams and Dick Green came out to the treehouse, and I did an interview with him and it was like, he would have been the – if he would have just hit anything, he would have been the MVP yeah. of the World Series. But what a nice man. He's 80 years old. Yeah. Uh, Dietrich Page came in today and said it's his 80th birthday. Wow. And they had, a cake, they had a cake for him. But you know what? He had such an infectious laugh. Everybody, you know, he, he was just a great second baseman. And, and I'll say this. When I would catch Catfish Hill, when I first joined the A's in 73, I was catching Catfish Hill, I'll never forget and I called the pitch, and, and, you know, as a catcher, you can see every position. So I called his pitch, and I know the hitter is going to hit it where – because Catfish was so good, he could actually pitch into a shift. But I looked up, and Dick Green, I said, oh, no, he's, he's not going to be there. And so, you know, I started concentrating as Catfish released the ball. The hitter hit it exactly where I thought he's going to, and I thought he's going to be a base hit. Guess who's in front of the ball? Dick Green. And I said, Greeny, how'd you do that? He said, I hold my position as long as I can. So essentially, if as an infielder, you start moving, a hitter can see that movement and really detect what the pitch is going to be and hit it accordingly. But what Greeny would do so masterful, masterfully, he would hold his position. And so as Catfish is getting ready to throw where the hitter has to concentrate on the pitcher, then he would, he would move and he would be right there. That's how good he was. 
And also, when there was a throw to second base, I remember one time I came up and I kind of double clutched a throw to second. And he said, oh, I forgot to tell you, you throw to the bag and I'll be there. So from that point on, if, if Greeny was covering, I would throw to the bag and he would hold his position in case it was a hit and run. But if it was a, a stolen base attempt, he would leave the position, he'd get to the bag. And there were times, Tony, he would actually dive, catch the ball and make the tag. He didn't care about guys sliding in with spikes and hurting him. He didn't care. He was just a consummate player to be able to do what he did at second base. And, and you know what? In batting practice, he'd come out. He did balls in the second deck at the Coliseum in left field. And we'd go, Greedy, what are you doing? He says, oh, I'm just having a fun time. I'm just having a good time. But he was an outstanding hitter, but he was a premier second baseman. And, and you're right. Just uh, he, he was hitless in the World Series. Otherwise, he played so well defensively, turning double plays. And, you know, in game five of the World Series against the Dodgers, when, uh, let's see, in 74, what were you, two? Oh, that'd be correct. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't remember that win, Foss. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll say this. It, Billy Buckner, God rest his soul, hit a ball to right center, got past Billy North. Reggie was there backing up. Reggie came up and threw a ball to Dick Green. Dick Green, with his back to Sal Bando, caught the ball, spun, and threw a perfect strike. The captain's out third to get Buckner trying to go for three. And I remember asking Reggie his memories of playing for the, for the A's. For the great hitter that he was, he brought up that play. He said, I threw to where I knew Dick Green was, and I knew that Greeny was going to make the throw to Captain Sal, and Billy Buckner was going to be out. So here's a great offensive player talking about one of the better defensive plays in all of the World Series history. And it was, I mean, it turned, turned the World Series around because at that point, it's the first out. Don Joshua hits a ground ball back to Raleigh for the third out, world champions for the third year in a row. I would have loved to cover you guys. I think my personality would have fit with you guys. But I was I want I want to say this, Ray. I was reading your mind today while watching your guys broadcast. And I knew, okay, okay and I, I know exactly what you were thinking. So you got you got you got Murph coming out talking to Lou. We're looking at wristbands. Oh gosh! And, you know, Murph gets behind the plate. Lou's pulling uh, the the card out of his pocket, and I and I I'm like, I wish Ray could really say how he feels right now. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're like, are you kidding me? Well, you, you know, a lot of that county is the signs because they're limited bound visits. But I'll say this, and I actually said it. That if you know you you need to know how many mound visits you have, and and I would think if you're going to be limited in how many you get in the game, save them to the end because the most critical time is going to be let's say in that situation. And you know with Lou with the runner at second base, there were some concerns about maybe signs. And I said a catcher's job is to watch the runner at second base, so he'll tell you if he's trying to steal a sign. You if he's doing something out of the ordinary, if he's you know turning his head or open fist, uh, open hand, closed fist, things like that. There are little things that runners at second will do to, to indicate a sign or location to the hitter. So as a catcher, you see that. You can, you can change that. But, you know, the, the one thing I think goes on is that they have, okay, runner at second base, and there's one out. You're going to use this series of signs. Tommy, games are going to be lost because of cross-ups. Uh, you know, I seriously think. And plus, you, you, let, let's say you're pitching and, and Murph is catching. And you're hoping you're on the same page and you realize you're not. Then all of a sudden, here we go. You know, you know, runner advances on a, on a, on a, a cross up, whatever it might be. But, uh, 
But I think it's, it's so, so much paranoia now about sign stealing that that's what is happening. And when you combine that with limited mound visits, you know, Kipe, Kipe said when he saw Murph look at his, uh, his, his wristband and, and do a series of signs, and he said to me, he said, did you get all of that? <laughs> and then, then Trevino steps off after looking at his, and, you know, then they finally had to confer. But uh, you know what? You have to be on the same page, especially in a critical game like that. Important runner on base and uh, go ahead. So you, you, you have to make sure you're on the pay- same page. Otherwise, it, it's going to be a, a severe, uh, serious mess up. And, you know, oh, by the way, you know, all these signs, and, and I said it when, uh, when Trevino went out for the 10th inning with a runner second base, I said there should not be any question about the signs because Trevino and Murphy had a chance to talk about it knowing that there was going to be a runner starting at second base in the 10th inning. So, you know, those things can be predetermined. We always had signs. I mean, they were simple because you have to keep the signs simple because otherwise, if you're not simple, you're going to have cross-ups and you're going to have a lot of problems. But, you know, when a pitcher came in, let's say the manager came in and brought a pitcher in and you'd simply say, okay, second or third time with the runner, second base, whatever it might be. And as simple as that, you know, you, you try to keep it simple and uh, the complicated signs are only going to get you in trouble. Yeah. I, some of these guys don't need to be thinking that much. I mean, if, if I had a you little advice, I would be, Hey Lou, you throw the ball 98 miles an hour. You can tell the hitter you're throwing, Thank I'm you. throwing it by you. If you throw the right, if you throw to the right spot at 98 miles an hour, the guy can know it's coming and he ain't going to hit it. And Tommy, you've heard me say this a hundred times, even if the hitter knows or three and two. And, and you know what you said earlier about putting the ball in play, you think about that. And if you're you're telling a guy, tell him what's coming. Because if he's hitting 350, he's making six and a half outs per 10 at bats. At 350, ain't nobody's going to do that. You're lucky to hit 250 to 300, which means you're making more outs per 10 at bats. So you're giving the hitter a lot of credit by throwing the breaking ball when you know that if, you know, I think I said it this morning on our show, that if you throw a breaking ball three and two, it has to be a strike because you're going to probably fool the hitter and if he doesn't swing and the umpire deems it's a ball, you've walked the guy because the pitch was such that nobody's going to swing at it. You throw a fastball, you don't hang fastballs. You know, as a pitcher, you throw the number one, you throw it straight, you're not going to hang it. Just get the location. And that's what I think has made this team, this staff, as successful as they have been recently is because they're relying on the fastball, they're getting ahead, they're throwing strikes with the fastball, and they're winning a lot of games. That's why I like when Trevor Bauer has done it in spring training and people have kind of accused Zach Greinke of doing it going, I'm going to tell you what's coming. I mean, that's that's such a mind game right there that you're playing where is he serious? Is it really going to be a fastball? Is it, I mean, I I like that. I I like the fact, Hey, curveball. Then you throw a fast. I mean, you get them thinking, get them mad, get them thinking, get them frustrated. I wish pitchers would do that more often because when Trevor Bauer has done that in spring training, and even though he was actually throwing what he was saying, it freaks hitters out. And you don't, you don't believe him. I've been behind the plate, and I've said to the hitter, fastball. And he goes, yeah, right. Fastball right down the middle. When, when, when I played in Venezuela, there was a catcher on the opposing team, and I won't mention his name. But he was close to setting the record for the most home runs in the Winter Baseball League in Venezuela. I said, I'm going to tell you every pitch that's coming. And he said, well, I'll tell you the same thing, because he was a catcher. We were 0 for 8. What does that tell you? You know, because if you know what's coming, 
see, when the Astros were doing what they were doing, I said it, and I still believe it. It's not so much of knowing what's coming so you can hit it, is that you know what's coming so you don't swing at bad pitches. And if, let's say, a changeup or splitter, if you know it's coming, more times than not, you're going to be fooled. But when you see a hitter with a good changeup and he doesn't budge, he knows it's coming, and he's not going to swing at a bad pitch. To me, that's the biggest difference. Obviously, if you know what's coming and you're a good enough disciplined hitter, and I say discipline because typically like a 3-0 and pitch, if you look in fastball, you get it, you come out of your shoes, and you pop the ball up. So not everybody can be a good 3-0 hitter, and not everybody can be especially a good hitter when they know what's coming. You know, if I would have been in that Astros dugout, I would have looked at the hitters and said, guys, you got to sell it a little more. Thank you. Guys, you. you exactly. Guys are sitting here and and Kershaw's throwing nasty stuff and you're not offering at it and you're like bragging like, yeah, I'm not offering at that. Well, then everybody knows what you're doing now. I mean, at that's least right. sell it. Like, do kind of a check swing. I mean, kind of sell that. Yeah, I mean, that's where they were. If they would have done that, who knows what would have happened? But it's a big. It just became very obvious that they know exactly what's coming and they're not swinging at stuff that's so nasty most guys would swing at. And you know what? When when, um, when the um, Nationals won the World Series, and I'll never forget the final strikeout was Michael Brantley. And it was a breaking ball down and in. And when the Astros were facing the Rays, he was spitting on those pitches because he knew they were coming. And on this particular pitch, the final strikeout, final pitch of the World Series, he swung and missed a pitch that was down and in off the plate out of the strike zone. So there's a difference of knowing what's coming and not. But I agree with you because if you know a change is coming, you can start your swing, but you know more times than not it's going to be out of the strike zone. And so you can start and be like fooled or out on your front foot. But if you know it's coming, you can take it. No big deal. But if you stand there like a statue, he throws a great change up and you don't move. Come on. You know, you're telling the world, I know what's coming. And that's what you're right. It made him look bad because Kershaw did as well as he did in Dodger Stadium. And then he goes to, to Minute Maid Park, and it's the same pitcher, same pitches, and all of a sudden he's bad? Give me a break. You know, it, that, and I'm sorry. That doesn't uh, – Yeah, it was a bad and, – and I can't remember yeah. what the stat was, but it was like on his breaking balls, there wasn't one swing and miss, or there That's was right. like one That's or something. It was like, oh, come on. Of course they knew it was going to be – I mean, because, I mean, even though he's not throwing as hard as he used to, his breaking stuff is still nasty. Yeah, greatest curveball in the game, and you're not offering at it because obviously you know it's coming. But, uh, you know, you started this by saying you're, you're, you're sorry that Captain uh, – I mean, Cody, Cody's the best, you know. He, and I'm glad you're giving him a lot, of, a lot of attention because he's doing a great job. But I just want you to know I caught doubleheaders. So, you know, broadcasting a doubleheader yesterday, seven innings, give me a break. I mean, that's only 14 innings. I'm glad the A's won both of them. But coming back today over four hours, I agree with you. Let's say they had not – started a runner at second base we could still be there <laughs> oh my god yeah hey, ray i i understand old schoolers hate it but for 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 a post-game show host and oh, a talk show host because i not only did i have post-game i had this show I, I i mean going 15 16 innings is death it's it's the you, know, you, you know you know i agree you know i'll be honest with you i like the runner starting at second base because really it puts a lot of pressure on the team and, you know, when Garver struck out against Trevino, I said, wow, that's great because Garver is not the type of guy that's going to bunt. You don't, I mean, they're different philosophies. And, and then, of course, Buxton hits the home run and you think, oh, it's over. 
but you know that's just a never say never say die from the athletics and they come back and win the ball game. But you know, I no, I, I think it's great because you know the the three batter minimum for start for relievers. You know that's that's part of the game now. But uh, I, I'd say that's that runner starting at second base. I think that's good. I believe that they should play uh, nine inning double or nine inning double headers. I don't believe that if you have a double header, come on, you know, play nine innings. Fortunately, again, the A's won yesterday with two shutouts, great, two great pitching. Uh, hey, I caught, I caught a double, I didn't catch the double header, but we had a double header against uh, the Kansas City Royals in 1974 in two nine inning games with Catfish and Vita pitching. The Royals in two games, double header, got six hits total. A two hit shutout and a four hit shutout. And that was it. I mean, and that was, that was dinger night for Monty Moore. And he loved it. All the fans had dingers. You know the big old cowbells, yeah. And it was it was so loud. I mean, it was such a great time. But I was thinking about that last night uh, when the A's swept that doubleheader. Thinking back to '74 when uh, the A's beat the Royals, who was basically the team that that we went head to head against. But uh, you know, fun times for the A's, and um, you know, you you enjoy and deserve your day off tomorrow. I know you'll be on the golf course, and you know, Commander Cody, how you doing? Everything good, buddy? Uh, I'm good, Ray. I'm just. You know, taking back that you know, I was going to tell the stat to Tony that this is the first. Well, time hey, they- hey, 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 real quick, Ray, I have a, I have a feeling when Catfish Hunter pitched, the game wasn't four hours and sixteen minutes. You know, if you look at, and and Cody can look those up, I think one was two oh six and the other said <laughs> like two fourteen. <laughs> nine innings, nine innings. I mean, those fans were out of there thirty minutes between games. You know, they were out of there. You know, five hours. Game, it's over. You know, so, no, 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 no. They, they definitely didn't play. What, what are you going to say, Cody? Well, what do first, you got, Cody? Well, first of all, 1974, the average length of game was two hours and 29 minutes. So, oh, I killed for that. <laughs> uh, not, not, not only that, I think I heard Brody and Don Charles say on the uh, on NBC Sports California after you and Glenn and Dallas signed off that the doubleheader yesterday was only a couple minutes longer than the game played today was. So that was alarming. But this, yeah. the stat I want to throw out there was the A's are the first team in. Major League Baseball history to start out 0-6 and then have an 11-game winning streak in any month. And Martin wow. Gallegos had that. It, that's an incredible stat that, they, that they've had. You know, so. it, it is. It, it really is. But, you know, guys, anybody saw the 20-game win streak, there were a lot of those games that you thought, well, it's over, and they just, just find a way to win. But, you know, the one thing that, and, Tony, you said it best, about the number of games the division winners have been winning lately, that you need to get off to a good start. You need to get to the point where, you're not trying, okay, like you said, Memorial Day or July the 4th, second half, and we'll kick in here. Maybe too late. But, you know, winning the division, especially with uh, – I, correct me if I'm wrong, there's no expanded playoffs this year, right? Correct. So if you, win, if you win the division, you get the bye. So it's the wild card teams have to play. Like you said, when the A's won 97 and the Rays won whatever, and they played a one-game wild card game. So if you can eliminate that one wild card game, which the A's unfortunately – in uh, 18 and 19 did not. Uh, and then, unfortunately, last year, they win the division and still had to play a three-game best-of-three uh, wild-card series, which, to me, was unfair in expanded playoffs. And that's why I thought it, that if they did that this year, there had to be uh, a benefit for the division winner instead of having them having to play. Look at, look at the Astros. They didn't care if they were in second, but they knew they were going to be in postseason. And they ended up sweeping the Twins and beating the A's and you know, ended up, uh, you know, for them, they lost to the Rays. But, but no, uh, I, I'm glad it's kind of back to normal because it gives teams incentive 
to win early the way the A's are right now and try to win the division so they know it's the best of five instead of trying to play one game and hope to advance. Hey, Ray, Cody on his old show, he never got to talk. Oh, really? He needs to talk. He should talk because, you know, he's got a lot of information. And plus, think of all the guests. I mean, you know, with that Burt Blylevin interview, that was tremendous. Great idea from him when we did it last year with Phil Garner and, and Joe Rudy. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. That's good stuff. And Cody, Cody's a mastermind. I got another one for you maybe coming up, Ray, when we play Baltimore here. How about you and the great Jim Palmer? For Fosse oh, friends, oh, 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 oh. I, I won't be able to. I won't be able to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jim Palmer, I asked him one time. Uh, I did an interview with him. And of course, when I was doing the pregame shows, I had maybe six, seven minutes. I said, Jim, how important is the fastball to you? And next thing I know, I've got. We'll be back right after this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> next question. We'll be back, right? You know, I mean, you got to be kidding me. I mean, but. But, you know, he, he learned from the great Robin Roberts and talked about the importance of the fastball. And, you know, but uh, Jimmy could talk, which is good, which is good. So, well, you guys, I mean, you think all the years, even before you got there, all the battles the A's had with the Orioles. How yeah. did you do in your career against Jim Palmer? I don't know. You have to ask Cody, but I do know that when we, when in uh, 73 and 74, we had to play the Orioles to get to the World Series. Both times, because they won the East, we won the West, and that's the way it was. It was a five-game league championship series, not the wild card, the division, and then the league championship and the World Series. No, it was, I mean, obviously before that, it was when the American League played the National League, World Series is over on October the 10th. But, uh, but then it was a five-game league championship series, and it was, I mean, it was grueling, because by the time, I, I remember Felix Mion came to the plate, the first at bat for the Mets in 73, I went, you got to be kidding me. This is the World Series, you know, because we had to go to game five against the Orioles to advance to the World Series. But that's pressure to try to get there. And uh, so it, it was different then. I don't know. All I know is that Jim Palmer said that I hit two home runs off of him. Both of them were knocked over the fence by the outfielder. Who had them in their <laughs> I mean, that, that's his that's his memory. I mean, well, hey, hey, hey. I've seen Cody's reaction. So, Ray, it's either going to be really good or really bad. How was Ray Fossey against the great wearing tidy whities Jim Paul? <laughs> uh, Ray, in your career in 44 at-bats, we can say you owned the Hall of Famer Jim Palmer. 13 hits. You have one home run. So, I don't, get, I don't know if baseball reference is counting the postseason. No. One, one homer, four RBIs. A 295 average, a 786 OPS. Oh, and Jim Palmer is so afraid of you. He intentionally walked you twice. <laughs> well, I, I said two home runs. The one I remember, I think it was Don Buford in left field, and and Jimmy said he says he had two gloves, a stop and a go. He had a he had a red one and a white one or a green one, and it was a stop and go. And he said I can still see him going back to the wall. The ball hit the palm of his glove and bounced over the fence. And I said, well, at least it didn't hit his head like it did with Conseco. And it, yeah. did, it did hit his glove. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, Ray, and we'll talk about this on Friday, but we had Ken Singleton on to talk oh, about the man. Yankees, obviously a longtime broadcaster, but as a player was an Oriole. And, yeah. you know, I, I talked to him about, you know, when I was a kid, there was the Oriole way. There was so much pride right. with the Baltimore Orioles playing at Memorial Stadium, the, the home of Johnny Unitas and the Colts. And it's like, and he says they still get together and they all just shake their heads because 
the the Orioles were a model franchise, and they're now just a joke. Well, you know, it was it was Cal Ripken Jr. and I, I kind of compared it to Derek Jeter with the Yankees, you know, because with the Orioles it was the Oriole way, and that was a lot because of of uh, Cal Ripken Jr.'s father, senior, and Billy Ripken. I mean, they they started the minor leagues, and when you got the big leagues during that period of time, and I know Singleton, I think, was on the '83 championship team along with Ripken. That's the only time he won. Ripken did. But, uh, but, but Ken Singleton, not only an outstanding player, but a tremendous broadcaster. And, uh, but, you know, same with Derek Jeter. I mean, you know, you played for the Yankees and you watch Derek Jeter, you know, he's not going to take anybody doing a half step. He said, we're here to win. And that's why they won and have won so many World Series because it was Derek Jeter leading the way when he played. Well, and plus that great relationship he had with A-Rod. Can you imagine how uncomfortable those plane rides were? <laughs> well, I give A-Rod a lot of credit. He went to third base because there's no way you're going to move the great Derek Jeter from shortstop. I don't care if he's 120 years old. You're not going to move him, you know, because he, he was the captain. He was the shortstop. And I'm sorry, you're just not going to move him. So, no, I, I think it's great. No, well, Ray, Jeter was good. Have a wonderful evening. Have a great day yeah. off. And we'll talk yeah. to you on Friday. You know what? Just hit them straight. I know Cody's going to be busting his tail getting you guests for A's cast, which, uh, you know, that's, that's what Captain and Commander Cody does. But uh, you enjoy your round of golf, and we'll be ready to go on Friday. And, and I hope the chicken pie shop at Walnut Creek is doing a great job. Oh, you are the best. Thank you, my friend. All right, buddy. We'll talk to you Friday. Cody, have a great day tomorrow yourself. Thanks, Ray. Talk to you soon. Okay, buddy. The face of the franchise, Raymond Fossey. We're starting to find out that Raymond Fossey was a Hall of Fame killer. God, clearly. I mean, Don't bring me Nolan Ryan. Don't bring me Jim Palmer. Bur- Burple, I love and kind of own Ray. But other than that, he's had success against some guys. We look- Yeah, Ray didn't like the curveball. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, he, if, if you guys want to check that interview out, we have it uh, up on, on – uh, it'll be running on AceCast, and it's on our website, athletics.com slash AceCast. I tweeted it out, too. The link to it. It was a phenomenal interview. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it, 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 it's it, it's essentially Ray Fossey talking to guys that he played against, and they all have so much respect for each other. And I know for a lot of A's fans, you know, it, it's it, it's it's we'll call it streaming gold. I just lay out. I just I hang back unless Ray brings me in. I just hang back and just sit back and listen and. Enjoy the conversation. And when you can hear, you know, Hall of Famer Burt Blylevin and Ray Fossey just rapping about the good old days, that's gold, man. Yeah, and I'm going to try to – I just messaged Ray and uh, said if he's, see if he's interested in doing it with Jim Palmer, and I'll try to get Palmer on because the last time Jim Palmer responded to me is when we had him on the field and he told the, uh, the tidy whitey story. So it's been two years since we talked to Jim Palmer. So And that's going to be – we play the, well, we play the Orioles this weekend – and then we play him again next weekend uh, here in Oakland. So hopefully we can get Jim Palmer, and, I'll, and I'm going to try to maybe ask for Brandon Hyde, their manager, who's a Santa Rosa Santa Rosa guy, or our good friend Trey Mancini. So a lot of connections uh, apparently now I have with the Orioles. Uh, we also got Billy Ripken that I could reach out to and try to get on too. So, but during the interview, hey, 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 by the way, Jim Palmer at 75 years old still looks phenomenal. 
Oh, his hair. What I remember when he walked on the field and you were in awe of him. I was just more in awe of how great his hair looked in his in his early seventies. Where you know I take my hair seriously, but I looked at Jim Palmer and I'm like, I wish my hair looks like that when I turned seventy. Oh, it's 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 it's, it's Jim Palmer. Like when he comes walking, you know, he's one of those guys that he when he comes walking up, you're like, this is baseball greatness. I mean, this guy's career. He's got three Cy Young Awards. He won 20 games, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times. You can't, What do you think his lifetime ERA is? It's under three, right? Yeah, it's 2.86. 19 years. 19 years, his ERA is 2.86. That's great. You know who who they couldn't beat? Can't beat the 71 Pirates. Can't beat the 79 Pirates. But they were were so historic franchise. Just couldn't beat the bus on known as the 70s Pirates. But during the interview, I don't know if you saw what happened, but, I mean – they won yesterday, and we brought this up with Sarah. But I'm, I'm doing. I did it with the Padres. I'm doing it right now with the Yankees. Oh, they lost to the Braves. Oh, huh? they lost again. Gio Urshela is apparently hurt now. Oh, but, panic in the Bronx. Uh, yeah, they're what are they six? They're six and eleven. I think this might be the worst team in the American League. Oh, I love it. I, I mean, if the Yankees could be bad for one year, it would. It would just. It would make my year. Because if they're bad, the people at ESPN are going to be like, do we want to have them on Sunday Night Baseball every single night? Yes. Yankees, Red Sox. Y- Yankees yeah. and Red if Sox, Yankee, four and five in the AL. Well West. under 500. Is that – I mean, I'm looking at Jim Palmer's numbers. You know, we're happy. We're, like, happy. Can this guy have 150 innings this year? Jim Palmer went over 300 innings. One – two, three, four times, but he was a well over, I mean, 280, 270, 290. Jim Palmer was a man. Even old man Jim Palmer, 36 years old, went 227 innings and won 15 games. Well, he was a, he was a member of the last staff to have four 20-game winners, right? It wasn't like him Correct. and McNally and uh, I'm drawing a blank on the other two guys now. They are. But yeah, I mean, we, we're lucky if we see a guy, and you know, I always de- devalue oh, the that, win. Was it Steve Stone? Stone, yeah. I de- I devalue the win, but it is. I will say, I love when a pitcher gets to twenty wins. I think that's a huge milestone. But last time we saw it was like Cole and Verlander both did it the same year, and well, Verlander sold it from Cole. But let, let, let me give you a year in his prime here. Jim Palmer in nineteen seventy five. Don't remember that. I was three years old. He was twenty nine. He went 23 and 11, had a 2.09 ERA. He pitched in 39 games, started 38 of them, had 25 complete games, 10 shutouts, and 323 innings. Well, I remember. Is that I, a good year? Well, yeah, I remember the one we talked to Burp Lylevin yesterday. Fossey met when Ray asked him. You know, he went over his numbers with them, and, and Bert said how – I forgot how many shutouts he had because you're forgetting how many shutouts I had too. And it's like, well, I mean, he had that, you had that many shutouts. We're looking for the, if a guy gets one shutout in a season, not like – I think it was like 40 or 60 or something in his career. You're looking if a guy gets one. Garrett Cole's never had a complete game. Dallas – what was the thing I sent you about Dallas Braden has more complete games than Garrett Cole and Jacob DeGrom? Dallas Braden. 
Yeah, I think I think it was those two guys. I'm looking right now by Garrett Cole because I, I well, I'd have to go through his whole game log. Dallas Braden has more complete games than Cole and Degrom. I'm sorry. Think I, about that. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Cole has four complete games. He didn't have his first complete game until 2016 when he was 25 with the Pirates. So yeah, Dallas has more complete. I mean, I mean Dallas has a perfect game. Neither of those guys have that. That that Dallas brought it home. Garrett Cole has to get can barely get out of the seventh. I mean, he'll have 13 strikeouts, but he, it's because he has so many pitches. But if you if I if you had a pick between the Yankees and Padres, who uh who gets back to playing baseball well first? I uh I would go Padres. Well, I I, I forgot to tell you, Denelson Lamette, who was supposed to be one of their big aces, he got yeah, hurt last they, year. He's hurt again. 29 pitches, right forearm, right forearm tightness. You know what that means. That's Tommy John. Tommy John. Tommy John already. I think he's had it once before already. Yeah. Uh, the thing about the Yankees is they're relying on a bunch of older, hurt guys to have rebound years in their rotation. It's Garrett Cole, and then who? Tyon. Kluber. Kluber, Kluber struggled again today. Yeah, I mean that's where I, 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 and I don't know what the Yankees do to go. I mean, obviously they have the money if they want to take on money and go, but I don't know if you can't pitch. And then we know the big boys are going to get hurt. That's always going to happen. Yeah, I'm not – I don't think the Yankees – Fourth oldest team in baseball, the Yankees are. Only yeah, the, it's, 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 it's the entire East Coast media. They all love the Yankees, and they all just, you know, I don't think they're – You do you think they're that good? I think that they have the potential to be good. Their offense totally does. Dude, but, they've been they've been dominated by the Rays. Yeah, dominated. What is it? Eighteen. What, the Rays have won seven straight series. Eighteen and five. Postseason against them. Yeah, eighteen and five in their last twenty three against the Yankees. But wait, the the Rays are the little brother to the Yankees and the Red Sox. Can we please stop? Can we please stop yeah. that? But yeah, the Yankees. Yeah. I think the Yankees have a, a have a chance to bounce back with that offense. But it's all about the health of Judge and Stanton, and you got to keep Lemayhew healthy, and all that. And their pitching needs to figure itself out. Like that that stat I heard from Hembo. 15 and 30 when they don't hit multiple home runs in a game. That is terrible over the last couple of years for the Yankees. Hey, before we get out of here, let's play that. Uh, I promised people I'd play it. Buster Olney and Dave Schoenfeld giving the A's finally their due when neither of these guys picked the A's to win the division. Is Oakland the best team in the American League right now? Yeah, I think so. Like, I don't see a, a, a dominant team in the league. They started 0-6. They were outscored 50-13. to Now they've won 10 in a row. What? Look, haven't we learned by now, Buster, don't ever underestimate the Oakland A's. Yeah, you're exactly right. Normally they take off around Memorial Day. This year right. they're sort of jumping forward, you know. They, they moved up the calendar a little bit, and they're running and hiding. And I am curious to see if the, the Houston Astros, who got off to that nice start and are now have drifted to last place in the American League West, if they're going to punch back or if all these injuries have just uh, added up too much for them. Yeah, one and eight their last nine games. They had the COVID issues, so their stars missed a few games. Those guys are coming back. Big bullpen problems in Houston. A lot of young guys without much experience. I still like that rotation, um, you know, so I think they will bounce back, you know, and I'm not buying the Mariners. I'm not sure about the Angels. So I think Houston – will make a run, but, you know, Oakland's very, very good. You know what? I want to play part of that for David Forrest on Friday. 
where it's just here we go again. We underestimated them, and they're better than they went than we thought they were going to be. We should play a little bit of that for David on uh, on Friday. Well, no, it, well, no, for sure. Then we also have to, if we're going to play that for him, then we have to play the 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 line I played earlier. Another thing, no more stealing. That's what I do. That's what you pay me to do. No, I pay you to get on first, and I get thrown out a second. Uh, I know he said that he loves the stolen bases, not the caught stealing. David, your team's 18 of 21 on stolen bases. You lead yeah. the league right now. Mark Hanna has more stolen bases than eight other teams do total. So You're the running A's. Forget yeah. the swinging A's. <laughs> yeah. You're the running A's. Yeah, and well, you hit a lot of home runs, too. Uh, they're changing the philosophy of the way they, they play the game. Remember, we to, I mean, they still hit a lot of home runs. So let's not take that away from them. But the stolen bases, and we talked about prior to the season, stolen bases is something we wanted to see come back, and they are bringing it back with style. It's not Ricky, you know, and the guys are stealing bases for them. Conseco, it's Loriano, Canna, and Elvis that are doing it for the A's this year. You know, it was Ramon Loriano, and, and remind me to ask David about this. It was Ramon Loriano on our show. Maybe we can grab that clip too, where he just said, pitchers don't pay attention. Pitchers don't care. They're just trying to strike everybody out. You want to take second? Go ahead, take it. I mean, the, the strong pickoff move, when's the last time you've really seen a great pickoff move from a right-handed pitcher? They don't care. They're about strike. They're about focusing on getting the hitter and striking the hitter out. So why not take 90 feet? You're going to give me 90 feet? I'm taking 90 feet. That's why I want to go, and I, I, I can probably go through the Bible, and this would be a good running total, is look at all the stolen bases the A's had. Like, for example. The two they had today uh, scored runs. Yeah, both, both, both stolen bases for Elvis and Canna, both of them scored. Like, how many times out of these 18 stolen bases did the guy end up scoring for the A's? I want to find that by Friday. Well, I got plenty of time tomorrow, so I can look back. No, but I, I think that's interesting, right? You know, I mean, for a team that always talked about we're never going to run, well, now they're running. Why not? Why not take ninety feet? Why not get closer to scoring runs? You know, th there's been really bad A's teams over the years. There's been a lot of good ones, but there's been bad ones, and they were not athletic, and they were station to station, and they were boring. This team's not boring. This team has scored 71 runs in 11 games. Why? Well, yeah, they hit home runs, but they do other things too. What do they do? They get on base. They get on base. <laughs> I don't care how you get on base. He gets on base. But, yeah, now they're taking advantage. They're going first to third. Kind of reminding me of Mike Sosha's Angels in the early 2000s. This is an, this is an, I mean, if you look at it, Canna's very athletic. Loriano's very athletic. Olsen, Chapman. Andrews. Elvis, Seth Brown is showing us athleticism and kind of being an all-around player. We got to talk to I, mean, I, I, I don't expect Jet at 37 to do it, <laughs> but he's a professional hitter. He is. He's a professional hitter. And they're all major leaguers, so they're all doing, they're all doing their best up there and we got to well, talk to. I, 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 so, is Jed the only professional hitter, or does everybody else get paid too? Uh, I think Jed's the only professional hitter. The other guys are still learning how to hit and and, a, and trying to have professional at bats. Just like today, I, I thought. I thought if you got paid 
to play the game, you were a professional. Just like today, Frankie Montas was, you know, he was trying, he was learning how to throw strikes where yesterday Sean and I and Jesus Lazardo were strike throwers. So oh, <laughs> he's a professional hitter. They're all professional hitters. You know, you know, Jesus Lazardo had the best line yesterday in his presser. Uh, here's what he had to say after the game. That's what I mean. We've been just saying iron sharpens iron. I mean, at the end of the day. Iron sharpens iron. Oh, I had that in the post game, and I immediately said, oh, he's channeling my guy Jim Harbaugh. With a sword in one hand and a shovel in another, we will build Levi Stadium. <laughs> Harbaugh was such a nut. Good friend, by the way, of Bob Melvin. He Harbaugh was a nut. Harbaugh was a – you know what? He was so nutty, I liked him. There was a, there was a YouTube video. I tried to find that drop of him saying iron sharp. He was talking about his brother after the Niners lost on Thanksgiving to the Ravens 2011, and I found a video on YouTube someone put together from 49ers Studios of, like, every funny thing Jim Harbaugh said. It's pretty good. Uh, some some of the this, this silly stuff he'd say. My favorite, though, was when he told Tim Kawakami, it, it's, in the, it's in the Constitution, Tim. <laughs> my, You know what my favorite was? My favorite was, we're the 49ers. We can do whatever we want. Yeah. <laughs> my response to that is hypotheticals. Hypotheticals, hypo, that, and that and that one was the interview that I did with him. So we did two different interviews with Jim Harbaugh. One was set up. Remember, he was doing the Mastercard. Yeah, yeah. So he was great because he was doing it for Mastercard. Then the next one, he was back to being horrible to interview. But yeah, that was the uh, hypotheticals, and didn't want to answer the question. Yeah, I his pre, his press conferences were always fun to fun to watch. I always enjoy. I always enjoyed them. Especially when we had to cut them up when I was a lower level employee at 95.7 when I was still not even a full time guy. I remember cutting all that sound, and I'm like, this guy is like a cle- I mean, he's not even a cliche guy. He just says stuff that no other head coach would ever say. No, you br- then after you got Jim Tom Sula coming and going, oh, you know, we're going to, you know, run it and we're going to throw it a little bit. No. Well, then I remember Jim Cosmore told him, well, you're really playing your hand there, Jim. <laughs> well, I remember where he couldn't even. It was, uh, uh, it was just, uh, like, this is going to be your football coach? Yeah. Hey, that's a Western PA guy. You better watch it. Jim Tommy Sula. Great D-line coach. Don't get me wrong. But as your head coach, that was an embarrassment. Well, then they got fast. But then again, being a Raider guy, we (laughs) had plenty of embarrassments ourselves. So, you know, glass houses can't throw stones, Cody. (laughs) Uh, The draft is a week from tomorrow, by the way. So, the NFL draft. Yeah, it's going to be virtual, right? Uh, I think they're doing it in person. It's the NFL. They had a whole full season. Yeah. They're going to do it in person. The NFL's not stopping, folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A a, a team gets COVID like the Twins, and they put them in hotel rooms for days. The NFL, uh uh-uh. We're playing on Sundays. Yeah, figure it out. Uh, we well, unless you're the Ravens, and then they well, no, hold on. We want Lamar Jackson to play in a primetime game. We'll we'll skip the game to another day. But if you're if you're the Bengals or or uh, you know the the Jets, you're 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 playing the, you're playing on Sunday. There's a move, no moving the game back. No, we're not moving the game back. You got COVID, you're out. We're bringing somebody in. It's called the National Football League. They nothing's no bigger one. than nothing's bigger than the NFL. That's a, nothing. Uh, that's a fact to them. That's right. Oh yeah, just ask them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're gonna be back on Friday. We got the day off tomorrow. We'll be on from two to three o five. Two to yeah, about three o'clock. His pregame will start at four uh, three o five. 
first pitch, 405. At Camden Yards, a great ballpark that I've never been to. I've I've been to it, but I've never seen a game there because I did uh, Raiders-Ravens, which is right next door. So I've been in it, but there wasn't a baseball game going on. What's the Raiders? And, and then the Ravens Stadium is what, like T-Bank? Emmett T-Bank Stadium. So I've been I, – I've been. I, I have taken pictures with the Brooks Robinson statue that has the gold glove. I've done that in Baltimore. He was a good he was a nice he was a nice player. He nice, had a decent little career. Yeah, he had a nice little player. He was a nice little player for the Orioles. I mean, I don't he was no Cal Ripken. He was no Chris Davis, the other Chris Davis, but I don't actually you know I don't even know if he's playing. I don't even know if Chris Davis is playing right now for the Orioles. Because Anthony Santander, their their best outfielder, just got put on the IL, and Trey Mancini, love him. He's ha- he's gonna probably win Comeback Player of the Year. He's hitting under 200, uh, but I'm excited to see the Orioles play. I mean, they're building. I, I think they're building something for the future. Well, Brooks Robinson played forever. How long did he play? He played like 24 years or something. He was one of those guys that played till he was 40. He played old- forever. And weren't they all with the Orioles? 23 years. I was off by one. 23 years he played Major League Baseball. That is unbelievable. And he's got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. He's got 16 gold gloves. Matt Chapman is 14 gold gloves away from Brooks <laughs> Robinson. 14. <laughs> that is amazing. All right. What a crazy day. I mean, I know we've gone long, but it was just, you know, this is one of the great games you're ever going to see. I mean, it was, uh, it was really, really special. The A's have won 11 straight. They've won 12 of 13. You start the season 0 and 6, and now they're in first place. Who would have ever thought they'd climb out of the hole or climb up the mountain so fast? Think about the Astros being in last place. They lost nine That's, of ten. They've lost nine of ten. It's been the, <laughs> this is so crazy. The Mariners crazy. were in first place. <laughs> were in first place. To quote Bill King, crazy. Just plain crazy. All right, we'll be back. Enjoy the day off, and we'll be back on Friday at 2 o'clock. Thank you for listening, A's fans, to A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. 